Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. <laughs> yes, I can clearly see that I rolled a one. <laughs> While the Yeti determines my fate, I wanted to tell you about our friends at Sanity Damage. They're an amazing D&D actual play live show. The campaign features a high seas adventure full of piracy, steampunk, and Lovecraftian horror elements. You can find Sanity Damage on any podcasting platform or watch the party live on YouTube. Catch them bi-weeklies on Thursdays at 7.30 Eastern Time on YouTube at The Homebrew d and I'll throw it in the show notes to make it easy. Oh, and never let a Yeti be the DM. Hello and welcome to another uh, fun and exciting episode, I think, of uh, Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner. I am very excited to uh, welcome a writer who uh, you're probably familiar with because uh, he's been writing comic books and even prose novels for quite some time. And he is here to talk about his newest comic book, Nice Jewish Boys. It's a Comicsology original. And I read issue one and absolutely loved it. And I cannot wait to talk to him all about it. But please welcome to the podcast, Neil Clyde. Neil, how you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Jimmy. How are you? Uh, no, I'm I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk about comic books, and um, I'm especially excited when it's a comic book that I really liked. I um, we were talking before we started recording about our day because I was kind of complaining that I had kind of a weird long day at work today. But um, right in the middle of it, I snuck in reading uh, "Nice Jewish Boys" <laughs> to uh, to get ready for this interview tonight, and I was just absolutely captivated um i mean i, I I'm, I'm i'm sorry that you read mine because like if you're having a tense day i don't think you want to read a tense comic it's like go read bone or something go read the x-men that's not tense at all the x-men but. well <laughs> you, you know what it's um it's funny i had a, a mentor um who when i first became a lawyer uh arnie dranoff and um and i i, I one of the first firms i worked for and Arnie used to do criminal defense and personal injury, and eventually he stopped uh, stopped doing criminal defense, focused on personal injury. But whenever we had like a, a bad day or a tough day or he started talking about some of his criminal defense cases, he would say the best thing about it was that he wasn't going to go to prison. And for some, I always think about that whenever I have a tough day. And it's like, look, no, no matter what happens at the end of the day, I'm I'm. I'm, no one's going to send me to prison. And for some reason, with that in mind, and then reading Nice Jewish Boys, um, it reminded me of it because I, I, it, it kind of had an odd effect where I felt better. I was like, oh, man, Jake's, Jake's, Jake's got a real mess to deal with. I'm not Jake. I'm doing okay. Yeah. I'm not going to go to prison. <laughs> Jake could. <laughs> Sometimes I love that about like comics or, or, or books or television like when you're watching something and you're just so like why am i loving the show so much and it's because one of my favorite shows was uh shameless on, on showtime if you ever watch shameless and it's very much like it's a show about people really struggling and there's a part of you that's like i feel bad but i also feel kind of good that it's not me and like that that is horrible by the way it's a horrible thing to think because you want to yeah. be you know you want to feel empathy, what have you. But there's a part of you that's like, okay, at least I'm not going to go to prison. At least I'm not going to you know, <laughs> do this, right? Yeah. 
Um, we had a saying, I worked for the Tops company for a while, and uh, we always used to stress about our jobs. We did digital baseball card apps, and we'd stress about our job. And at the end of the day, we'd be like, if it was like a really bad day, the, the thing we'd tell each other is, it's just baseball cards, right? Like, it's like, it's fine. At least you're not dealing with life or death. Yeah. And, and those of you out there who are dealing with life and death, I'm sorry. Uh, I know many people who do, and I feel for you. My heart goes out to you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely feel for those people that have that, have a type of job. You know, like I could never be a surgeon. Yep. I would never want to have, you know, an occupation in like in, in, in the medical field. Um, that, uh, that way too much stress folks that do that, uh, everything from, you know, frontline EMTs to, you know, a heart surgeon or a neurosurgeon. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I could I, not do it. I don't even uh, want to work on teeth. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about Jake and, um, nice Jewish boys. I mean, I, I was, uh, looking at, you know, kind of like your bibliography no stranger to kind of, you know, slice of life or grounded fictional comics um, and uh, kind of like, it seems like every few years you kind of have one of these, like going back to starting with 90 Candles and what was that, 2003? Yeah, that was my um, first. That was, that was my first. Um, yeah, I, I started off. I, look, I, I grew up as a superhero fan, right? I, grew, I got into comics through superheroes, right? Marvel, DC, then Image. That's really all I read most of, you know, my childhood, high school, even a lot of my college career. And then I moved to the New York area, and I actually met uh, a lot of cartoonists in Brooklyn who were doing, like, alternative independent comics, like Dean Haspiel, Josh Neufeld, Nick Bertozzi. Uh, Tom Hart, a bunch of folks out there, Evan Dorkin. And once I started really reading their work and watching what they were doing, it was the first time in my life where I was like, comics can kind of be about anything. They don't have to be about span. And I love superheroes. Don't get me wrong. But there was something yeah. about like, comics can be about, and like, you know, perfect example, Harvey Picard, right? American Splendor. Comics are just about a clerk in Cleveland who's dealing with the, you know, the everyday life. And so, the first real books that I did were that. I, I, I didn't really start off doing like superhero books. I, I started off doing drama, you know, stuff that was happening to me or, or was important to me. And so 90 Candles was my first, and it was really about uh, the life of an artist, the life of a cartoonist. Right. And then did, is there something in terms of like, you know, uh, like every few years you feel like you want to, tell like this type of story or was there something in particular that spoke to you about oh i'm, I'm going to tell this story of jake levin and, and work with uh, the artist on it is john brolia and colorist ellie wright phenomenal work john's work is absolutely yeah, incredible this. and ellie's color work um is also fantastic um yeah, yeah they, so what was it about telling this story like right now so I'll just, before we dive in, I, I will just reiterate that like John and Nellie like really like did me the honor of bringing their A-game to the story. And, and the art is just beautiful. It's really fantastic. If you, if you pick it up just for the art, you'll, you'll, you'll do yourself a favor as well. Um, so, I mean, I'm always writing stories that are in the dramatic arena, right? I'm always writing stories about people, about their emotions, about legacy, about um, who we are and, you know, what our foibles are and what our flaws are. 
in terms of Maze Jewish Boys, this is really the third book that I've done that is about um, my community, about, you know, I'm, I'm an Orthodox Jew, and it's about Judaism, and it's about Jewish life. And so this is the third book I've written, you know, what I call like a Jewish sequential narrative. Uh, the first one I got to do uh, was called Roundsville, and it was a book about uh, Murder, Inc., right, the Jewish mafia in the 1930s. It was really about Jewish gangsters. Um, and then the second one I did was more contemporary, called The Big Con. It was about a, a rabbi who dies, and at, at his funeral, his family finds out that he's been conning them for 40 years. He's not even Jewish. And it's really about how the family sort of deals with the emotional aspects of this, you know, of this revelation. And then this third one, um, Nice Jewish Boys, is a little closer to home. It's actually set in my hometown, uh, Teaneck, New Jersey, where I live, with this very large Jewish population. And the idea was actually inspired by, I think I'm just drawn to like Jewish con men and, and you know, uh, <laughs> drifters. Because, you know, I did Brownsville, the big con, and then this. There was, right. a story, there was a story out of Cleveland, Ohio back in 2019. Um, and I'm from the Midwest, so like I know a lot of people in Cleveland as well, about a butcher who sold his business to these two guys who live in the community. And they basically took over the business and he stayed on to help them kind of get it up and running. And it came out at some point that the feds raided the butcher because these two brothers were actually using it for like a drug front. They were laundering money. They were trafficking illegal vape cartridges. They were like hiding stolen goods. And so the the business was really just kind of like this front that they needed. And they really ruined this guy's, his name at least for a while. And so it was about like, it's about like the secrets within our community that we don't really talk about. It was about me saying like, like I have a friend who actually lives nearby and owns an appetizing store, like a really good friend of mine. And I kind of asked another friend, I said, like, if you find out that he was running, like if he was, you know, selling stolen goods out of the back or laundering money, would you turn him in? Right. Would you yeah. feel like loyalty to your friend or loyalty to the law? And that's really the crux of the book. Um, but it's also about like responsibility to ourselves as people and what we feel like that means. So Jake, uh, Jake Levin, who's the protagonist of the story, he's kind of like me. He's a, he's a writer. He's got a family. He's struggling financially. And sometimes, you know, within the Jewish community, like uh, we, for religious extras, for things like bar mitzvahs and holidays and, and you know, uh, Jewish schools, it's not cheap. It's not cheap to live here. And so a lot of people, you know, like everyone else, in the country, you know, there are people who can't make ends meet because of things that are important to them. And so he ends up sort of taking a, uh, a hand from a friend of his who runs this appetizing store who says, hey, come work for me and, you know, I'll pay you to write some email marketing and promotion. And he discovers accidentally that his friend is running this criminal operation out of the back of the store and he gets kind of drawn into it. And then it becomes a question of like, well, I'm making money. Do I like, do I stay with these guys and make money? and you know, put food on my table, or do I turn him in, my best friend of 30 years? So it really becomes him sort of not just loyalty to his friend or the law, but it's also like, what's my loyalty to God? And I was like, um, I thought it was so well done in terms of how, like, complicated Jake's relationship was to, like, everything else in his life. Um, in terms of his community, his friends, his family, his faith. And it's it's also like intertwined. And he's, you know, really trying to to work out so many different things. Um it, which 
on one hand seemed, you know, very like complicated intertwining all of that together in the layers. But what happens to Jake is so easy that I don't think a lot of like crime comics get. Sometimes I think like the setup and to get into it may is like a little overly complicated. Like what happens to Jake happens so fast and it makes so much sense. I re- I there was something about it that I just I thought, wow, like I hadn't seen anything that I felt made so much sense and how quickly it all unraveled. And that's what it is. It's it's like it's so easy and and sometimes you don't realize like the wrong choice on the wrong day can put you in hot water, right? So like uh, Brownsville, my first book, you know, follows these two gangsters who kind of get in to the mob, um, you know, working with, with Louis Lepke and Meyer Lansky and, and, you know, the, the mob down on the Lower East Side. And you really kind of see that there, at the time there was two ways to get involved with, with gangsters back then. One is you just had no choice. It was either you do crime or you something starved, right? There's just not, an, it's not enough to go work at a factory, right? Right. And a lot of guys also got in because it was glamorous, right? There was something about the money, the appeal, the, the women, the clothes. And so following these two guys from different um, avenues and seeing how they each kind of got in and became almost the same person in the end was really interesting to me because they're the same guy, but they had came from different backgrounds and they really sort of landed in the same place. And I always worry about myself, right? Like there's days where you, we, we all of us are like, you said you had a terrible day today before we got on this, right? Like, yeah. Somebody's somebody's bad day could end up in a desperate decision that is just super simple, super easy. Yeah. Okay, like, I need the money. Why don't I just do this? Or yeah. I need this. You know, somebody's bothering me. Why don't I go out and do this? And it's so it part of who we are as humans, it's about like knowing where that line is and feeling ethical enough, moral enough to say to yourself, I'm not gonna cross that line, right? And so while you say it seems super easy. To, to, to Jake in the comic, it really is. It's a decision. First of all, it, it was an accidental decision. But then really the hardest part of it is not how he got into it, but should he get out of it, right? And yeah. that's what really the comic is about. It's that yeah. sort of soul searching of like, it's, like crime's easy. It's redemption that's hard. Yeah. Uh, you have, at least in issue one, um, you know, kind of like, I'll call it like a, a, a letter um, you know, at the end of um the, the issue one of of Nice Jewish Boys, and I mean it it seems that it would, it would be difficult for you writing this because it does sound seem like you're putting a lot of yourself into this and and drawing some similarities between yourself and the main character and wanting to um talk about his faith and your faith. Uh, but without being with making it clear that you're not, you know, being disrespectful to your faith, which is really important to you, as is the, uh, Jake's faith very much important to him. Like, did you do that because you were concerned that somebody would like misconstrue your intention as it goes to your religion? So it's tough. So this is I told, you know, I said this was a really hard book to write and, and John and, and Sarah, our editor and I had a lot of conversations about it where I was like, everyone is going to hate me after this, right? Like people in my community are going to hate me because, you know, I talk about our flaws. I talk about like a lot of the times when, you know, you hear about Jews talking about other Jews, it's very like uplifting. It's about like hope and joy. And, and there's a lot of that. I love being, and that letter basically tells it how it is. I love Oh yeah. I, I thought it was great. I mean, but, 
Yeah, like I love my religion. I love being part of this community. It's an amazing community. It's always there for you. But like we have flaws like every other community, right? And sometimes we don't talk about it. So like, especially right now where, you know, anti-Semitism is on the rise. It's really bad out there for Jews. Like there was a question of, do I put out this book that is about Jewish criminals and could make us look bad? Mm -hmm. And part of me felt like the ultimate message of the comic when folks kind of get through the five issues i think will show that it's really not a bad comic and it's not showing it's showing that we're human it's showing that jews are human too right we have flaws we do things that are good we do things that are bad and ultimately you know we have to take responsibility for our actions and so that's what it's about it's about humanity it's also about me as a father wanting to be uh, an example for my own kids which jake is definitely doing in in the book um in that letter i i quoted uh, i quoted um stephen king's book on writing that says uh fiction's yeah. a lie and good fiction is the truth inside the lie right yeah. and so yeah. what, I'm, what i'm very clear about is this is a work of fiction jake and i have a lot of similarities we have kids who are bar mitzvahed we have we're both writers you know there's days that i struggle there's days that i don't right but ultimately, he's a fictional character, right? Like, he's, yeah. not, he's not me. I'm not going out and, you know, doing crime, and I'm not doing the things that he does, and I have made different decisions than he did. Um, what I hope is that throughout these five issues, some of the truth behind the lies peek through the right truth, like my musings on what it means to take, mistake, uh, take responsibility for your mistakes what it means to be part of a community, what it means to be a friend and a father. Um, those are the points, I think, that are me, right? That are my musings on, like, who I am and who I want to be and owning my own flaws. But it's also part of me is, you know, looking at my community itself and saying, there are things I'm not happy about, you know? Um, one of the things that I'm sort of really nervous about, uh, especially right now, is that there's a very large starting in the issue that came out this week, issue three, there's a subplot about an Israel Day parade, which Israel is very important to the Orthodox Jewish community, right? And I know right now Israel is a hot topic. And there's some people who love it, some people who hate it. Um, I am curious to know how folks are going to react to that subplot in the comic. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of me that, you know, knows that it's like, it's tough. But I also think that, we have to have, we have to bring up these conversations. We have to talk about the divisive nature of certain things and talk about what the flaws are, even though what's this, what's the line I have in the comic? There's a line in the comic that came out this week in issue three, where he basically, Jake basically says, uh, you can love something with all your heart, but still acknowledge it's ugly flaws. And in it, he's really kind of talking about his friend. Yeah. But the same can go for my community, for me as a person, right? Like, I love myself. I love who I am. But I know I'm not perfect. And there's a lot that I need to fix about who I am. And so that, to me, is like the ultimate message of this comic, right? It's about nobody's perfect. Even, you know, like, the, the, the title itself is, is, like, super ironic, Nice Jewish Boys. These are not yeah. Jewish boys. These are, <laughs> these are terrible people, you know? And at the, at the end of the day, even though, you know, we say, oh, I'm a nice Jewish boy from New Jersey. Like, no, I do stuff that I might not be proud of, or you might not be proud of. And it's really about what you do with that, like how you 
either fix your life or change your situation or just acknowledge like, all right, I'm a terrible person, you know, and that's kind of what I'm hoping people get from this. Where did the um, puns come from? Is that you or is that Jake? <laughs> that's me. That's me. So you mentioned John, John Brolia. John and I did a book at Dark Horse called Savor, which is a book about a, an adventuring chef who has to, comes home to her island home and has to uh, save it from a band of pirate cooks. And the entire book, just all the characters, all their names are like food puns. <laughs> and uh, I had so much fun writing that book. John and I wanted to do a second one. And uh, yes, I, I'm a big fan of, of a good pun. Well, that's good. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I Going back through some of your work that I wasn't familiar with, um, you mentioned it before, but I saw, I read the treatment and like, um, uh, saw like maybe eight to 10 preview pages from the big con. I, so I, I cannot wait to read that because that sounds like right up my alley. Yeah. And, and it, that was, it's also interesting because, you know, we talk about flaws as humans, right? So like I wrote that at a time in my life where I was much younger, I wasn't married yet. I had just moved to New York from Detroit. Detroit was a, is, is and was a very, a much smaller, very more insular Jewish community. And to move to New York where you can kind of remake yourself in New York, right? Like you can kind of do what you want and be who you want. Um, I went through a bit of a crisis of faith at that time, like who I wanted to be and how religious I wanted to be and who I wanted to date, you know, and all that. And so a lot of that informed what's in the big con. All these characters who are going through their own crisis of faith, finding mm-hmm. out that, you know, a husband or a father was never Jewish. And does that, what does that mean for them? Right. And so we can talk about like human drama and flaws. That was me writing about that at one period of my life. And this is me at a different period of my life, writing about it as a husband, as a father, um, as somebody who's part of a community and, you know, contributes to a synagogue and, and all that. So right. I like to look at both of them as kind of, I don't, I don't want to call them bookends, but kind of, they a little bit are sort of bookends of my creative career as a Jew. Will I do more of these? I don't know. Kind of, you know, the right story has to come along, but mm-hmm. I think uh, as my life progresses, you know, maybe as my children have children of their own, uh, maybe I'll have some, some other things to say. So we'll see. <clears throat> are your, are your kids to a point? Like, do they, are they old enough to like read your work? Will they pick up nice Jewish boys to see? <laughs> Cause it's, it, it, I asked that because, um, and I, I don't know how old your kids are, but I asked that just because it's, it, it does seem, um, out of some of this, the, the things that you've written already, especially like, uh, 90 candles and, and, um, the big con, at least at this point in time right now, it seems, you know, deeply personal, even though it is this fictional crime comic. So do you think at some point, is this something you hope your kids read and, and one day and are, and are like, Look at what my dad did. Look how much of himself he poured into this. One day, sure. I mean, <laughs> my, my my kids range from from eight to fifteen, and okay, they all read comics. Uh, you know, different kinds of comics, right? Like my youngest likes to read, yeah, Spider Man, The Flash, and also like Dog Man and and Diary. Oh, of course. And my oldest, yeah, you know, has read Bone cover to cover and reads, you know, uh, like Secret Wars and all those. And my daughter, like. Like Rain to Telgemeier. So they all, they, and my other one likes anime. They all love comics. Yeah. Um, have they read my comics? No. Yeah. Uh, the only book I think that they have mine that they've read so far is Saber, the one I mentioned before, because I actually wrote that. John and I made it for our daughters. 
right? We, yeah. we, okay. we looked at sort of our body of work and said, wow, my kids can't read any of it. And <laughs> um, I also realized like there weren't a lot of good adventure comics that I would recommend to my daughter, right? She was reading a lot of like Raina's work and Slice of Life stuff and Babysitter's Club um, and Bone and, you know, some fantasy stuff. But I wanted to give her kind of like a, uh, and there's, there, it's out there, like Leave It to Chance is out there and, and um, Cheerville by Barry Deutsch. There's definitely books out there that feature like young Jewish protagonists or even just young female protagonists. Um, and so I wanted to create a book for her. And so that's really kind of where Saber came from. It was me wanting to create this adventure and I wanted it to be about food and I wanted it to be very punny. And so um, the sort of the log line was it's sort of like Legend of Zelda meets Top Chef. Um, with a whole oh, lot I love of, that. With a whole lot of food puns. Uh, so mm-hmm. very like video game inspired. Uh, I was into like Moana at the time. So there's a lot of Moana in it. Uh, there's a lot of really great influences in this book. I really wish more people knew about it. Um, unfortunately, the book came out. The day it hit stands was January 6, 2021, um, where mm-hmm. people, you know, had their minds on something else going on that day. Um, yeah. Or as John and I said, what if you put out a graphic novel and no one noticed? Wow. Uh, so go that is un- don't let the unfortunate. Don't, don't let the insurrection to our freedoms <laughs> stop you from reading a wonderful book about a wonderful hero. Yeah, well, no, I'll definitely check that out too. That sounds great. I, uh, I, Legend of Zelda meets Top Chef. That's uh, I'm I'm on board, definitely. All right, let's take a quick break. What? Sam Hill is happening right now. What is that? Yeah, what you know? You like bards? Yeah, what you know? Oh, you like band of bards. It's not my fault, you mumble. That makes sense. They're dropping some great new series right now. There's that one about a heavy metal guitarist in the 1970s with monsters, working class wizards. You know how we love monsters around here. And my friend Dakota Brown, he's working on a project, uh, Grandma Tilly's Hell Tech Mech with Lane Lloyd. I saw the preview for that. That is crazy. Jimmy even contributed to their anthology from the static and had Matt Sumo on the podcast to talk about his project, The Bardic Verses, which makes a lot of sense that the project landed there. Where can you find them? You need to get out more. They are in previews or you can visit their website, bandabards.com for all the latest. Can we turn the music off now? Thank you. No more surprises. Minstrels or anything like that, or I'll rent you out to the Ren Fair as a children's ride. Let's get back to the show. In in terms of writing about, you know, crime stories and some of the ones you've you've done al- already, and I'm sure for like Brownsville, you had to research, you know, Murder Inc. and look at that period of time to kind of get certain things right. Um, did you have any particular other than the story you already mentioned um, uh, that led to, you know, nice Jewish boys, did you do any other type of like, like research in terms of books or other comics or movies that you think influence, like how you tell a story like this in terms of the the crime aspect of it or the redemption aspect for nice Jewish boys? Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, You know, like I, I will definitely say that, that there's a lot of, like I watch a lot of television, right? So there's a lot of, inspiration from things like everything from the Godfather to Goodfellas to uh, one of my favorite movies, Once Upon a Time in America, which is about yeah. mobsters. Um, and so 
definitely gangster stories kind of inform it. But but this one, you know, and folks said to me, oh, are you doing like the Jewish Sopranos because it's set in New Jersey? And somebody mm-hmm. else said it's not the Jewish Sopranos. It's the Jewish Breaking Bad. And it's very, very much kind of what happens to Walter White, right? Walter White, who's in financial hot water because he's got cancer and he's got kid that's got to go to school and uh, he's got to pay the bills. And so he does something that he would not do and his morals sort of slip from there. So there's a lot of breaking bad in this one. Um, other things I just, you know, mostly I, I, I read a lot of like um, books that are about just terrible people. <laughs> um, Don Winslow is one of my favorite writers. Don Winslow has written a bunch of um, books. He wrote a book called the force, which is about the NYPD. And he's now writing a series uh, about gangsters in new England. Uh, the first one was city on fire. And I think the second one was called city of dreams. Um, very human, very just about like what it means to be trapped in a situation and not being able to get out of it or mm-hmm. having to do terrible things to get out of it. Um, really uh, people who are desperate, people who are just have no choice. That to me is really what informed a lot of nice Jewish boys. Um, and to be honest, a lot of it is informed about what I just see around me, right? Like I live in this community and, you know, one of the things that I, I think I wrote in the letter or maybe it's in the end of issue five is yeah, it's set in my town, but it's not just my town, right? It's not just Teaneck Jews or, you know, the Teaneck Jewish community where something like this will happen. This can happen in any community, anywhere in the world where people are desperate, right? Where people are, you know, struggling, where people can't make, their ends meet or are betrayed by somebody they love, right? This is a story that is so relatable. And so while I chose to set it here because I wanted to, it was fun. And it was, I wanted to see, you know, um, some of my town in a comic, but I could have set it in Detroit, in LA. I could have set it in New Orleans. I could have set it in Paris, right? You could set yeah. it anywhere around the world. It's the, the story just holds true no matter yep. who or where you are. And I think that to me is why people should relate to it or hopefully mm-hmm. people relate to it. Because it's not about the place. And there are some comics that are really about the place. I was telling somebody, like, if you read a Batman comic, you know, one of the main characters in a Batman comic is Gotham City, right? It's Absolutely. The, the city informs who he is and what's around him. And while there are aspects of Nice Jewish Boys that are formed by, you know, by my community, by my town, it, it equally easily could have could happen anywhere. Um, and it did. It happened in Cleveland, right? So, yeah. like, you know, that was the original inspiration. So, you know, one of the one of the things that I'm just very uh, vocal about is, you know, I hope that people don't take this as a, a condemnation of Teaneck, New Jersey, which is a wonderful place to live in a wonderful town and amazing Jewish community. Um, and I'm so happy to raise my kids here. Um, I just happen to write what I know. You yeah, know, that's what it was. Well, I, I, I felt like... Um... I was instantly drawn in because on, on I was in uh, a New Year's Eve party in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and talking to a friend of mine who is from, I can't remember the name of the town in Massachusetts. And the topic like quickly turned to his friend's son's bar mitzvah and how elaborate it was and how he was worried as to what him and his wife were going to do next year for their son's bar mitzvah. So I was like, hey, I just witnessed this conversation. Uh, in the beginning of Nice Jewish Boys number one, uh, about a you know about ten days ago. <laughs> yeah, I was just we were just talking about bar mitzvahs this past weekend with friends, and I was like, when I grew up, 
permits was were like, you're going to read from the Torah. We're going to have a, a lunch and maybe a little tiny party. But now they're a little out of control. I mean, it's it's not like a you know keeping up with the signs kind of thing where you're just kind of like uh, trying to outdo one another. But like, there's expectations, especially here in on the East Coast, like where I'm from in Michigan. It it wasn't. I mean, maybe it is now. I've lived there in over 20 years, but right. um, now it could be like that anywhere you go. Um, but people want to celebrate, you know, it's like weddings, right? You can do a destination wedding or you can go down to city hall. And so the folks that do the destination wedding in Bermuda, that it's important to them. They want to put the money into it. They want their friends and family there on that beach in you know Hawaii or whatever. Um, for bar mitzvahs, you can definitely go easy or you can, you know, it's important enough, the rite of passage, the, what it means to you to your family, to your children, you want, you want to blow it out. Right. But you know, not everybody can, can swing it. And so sometimes, sometimes you have to make sacrifices. And in this case, Jake's sacrifice is his soul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just really, uh, cannot wait to get into the next couple of issues because I love, I just, I love the character. I, I really just love your writing. Um, you. And yeah, John and Ellie, I, I'm a big fan of, of Ellie Wright, uh, her, her coloring work. So I'm very excited to get into uh, the rest of it. Um, yeah, we, we were super thrilled to get Ellie on board. Um, I've been looking for something to do with her for a while. She and I actually worked with um, another friend of ours on a, on a sci-fi pitch that didn't really go anywhere. And so when this opportunity came up, um, it it was kind of a no-brainer to ask her if she wanted to do it. And Sarah Litt, who edited the hell out of this book also, Sarah used to work, as she now freelances, she's been working for Ahoy Comics and I think Black Mask and a couple other places, but she used to work at uh, DC Vertigo back in the day, and she that's where she and I met. And we've been looking for something to do together for a long time. She's one of my closest friends in comics. And so I was really, really happy that, you know, it's always fun when you can, you know, work with, with people you you'll you want to work with people who you get along with and like, and it's even more fun when you get to pay them. Yeah. That's, that, that is an added bonus. Yeah. An important, an important added bonus. Um, so, but Neil, I wanted to ask, you talked a little bit about moving from the Midwest to New York and some of the cartoonists that you like met and hung out with, um, mm-hmm. but kind of what, what started you, you know, wanting to, you know, write or cause I, I think at one point you wanted to be an illustrator as yeah. well. So like what started you on that? that journey like why, why start pursuing that yeah so i you know i've been drawing all my life and you know when you grow up in in, in michigan there's not like a ton to do with it you know you do the odd mural and you draw in class for your friends and what have you but i had been reading comics since i was a kid you know my dad got us into comics when we were young he would come home uh every friday afternoon with a bag full of comics from that he got at the newsstand and throw it at us and be like leave me alone go read this and so we my brother and i we had boxes of comics just like old dc comics presents and marvel team-ups and avengers and spider-man and justice league and everything right and so i because i could draw i would always draw these characters and as i kind of grew up i started to trace the comics that i got right so i would take like a ninja turtles comic and i would trace Raphael, and then i started to just put the page next to me and look and kind of like do it without tracing and eventually i just taught myself how to draw and my anatomy was terrible by the way my anatomy <laughs> and perspective. Like I taught myself how to draw comics and I was freaking awful. And, but I still had this, like, I want to draw comics. And my, we went to, we had family in New York at the time and we used to come here all the time. And 
my dad, uh, who sort of indulged me a bit, uh, took me to Marvel when they were at 387 uh, Park Avenue. And we went up there and we spoke to one of the editors and gave me a bunch of like tryout pages and scripts to look at. And he looked at my work, keep working on it. And I'm like, great. And so when I moved, finally moved to New York, um, friends of mine knew Jordan Gorfinkel, who was an editor on Batman for years. And he's actually the guy who came up with No Man's Land and Birds of Prey. Really good guy. And Jordan was working at DC and somebody said, here's his number, get in touch. And so he said, why don't you come up and I'll show you around. And so I got up there and I came with like a fistful of pages that I had done, like really like old Avengers comics that I redrew or uh, Batman stories, you know, what have you, Green Lantern. Right. And I walk into his office and he introduces me to a bunch of editors. And then he's like, all right, let's, let's look. And he looked at the work and he's like, this is good. Uh, your anatomy needs work here. He kind of really looked at it and said, I gotta tell you, I just don't think you're ready as an artist, but your storytelling is fantastic. Like the way you're telling the story, like your pacing, the panel, like all of it is great. And you should think about writing. And I said, what is, I don't even know how to do that. And so he gave me some books to read and he gave me some comics. He said, study these, study these scripts. And the first thing I did was go home and take Kingdom Come by Mark Wade and Alex Ross and write it into a screenplay. And that screenplay is about 300 pages long. Oh my gosh. Wait, how old were you? How, like- I must have been 22, 21, 22. And, oh, wow. And yeah, I, I was drinking for sure uh, at the time. And <laughs> um, I wrote this, and I just did it for like fun, for an exercise. And from there, I started to like really figure out and study how people were writing, right? Like look at scripts, look at screenplays. Uh, Brian Bendis, Warren Ellis, uh, Alan Moore, which don't look at an Alan Moore script. Um, <laughs> but like Mark... Mark Wade, Kurt Busiek, like all these people whose work I loved, I was really trying to get my hands on their scripts and just understand, like, what is, how do you construct a comic book? What does it mean to write a comic book versus writing a a screenplay versus, you know, a page of prose, right? And there's definitely different muscles you bring to the table. And so from then it just became, I tell people, like, my career in comics was the way that most people should not do comics, which is really slow, gradual, doing the work, right? Starting in make your own mini comics, then do a web comic, then do anthology stories, then do a one shot and do a mini series. Like I really kind of hit them all. And yeah, I mean, you really did. Like you look at, I, I think I went to your like Wikipedia page after we, you know, scheduled this and I was like going through and I'm like, yeah, Neil, Neil really put in the work here. Yeah. And, and you kind of have to, and so that, that always kind of frustrates me a lot. Some creators, not all, a lot of creators will put in the work and the time, but there's, some folks that have this idea that like I do one comic, I Kickstarter, I you know I crowdfund it, and I barely get it over, and I make you know I fund it, and people like it, what have you. DC is definitely going to give me Superman now, right? And like that's yeah. not how it works. I don't think right. There are some people who are definitely overnight successes, but there's still work in that. There's that you know you got to network and you got to know the right people and you got to show that you can kind of do this. For me, it's about right like you're going to write a hundred comics or a hundred scripts before, you know, your first one kind of really is good. Um, and I, I think there's like some truth to that. I think there's some truth to even now having written a bunch of comics and 
four or five novels, right? Like ah, I've got a lot to learn still, right? Like I'm just kind of getting started. What is it? Over 25, 22 years in. And like my, for me, it's always my next comic, my next book. I want to look back at the one I just did and say like, what did I learn from that? Right? Like having written nice Jewish boys, how is my next one to be better? How's, how can I make things better? And one of the great things that I get to do that a lot of, writers don't and i feel like a lot of writers should is because i'm a a, a trained graphic designer right like i know how to kind of use design tools as i letter my books so savor the panic that i did with andre moody at comiXology and now nice oh yeah like i lettered all those books and i hope that people can kind of look at those three books in particular savor and then the panic and nice jewish boys and see just it's me studying like people who are great letterers right todd klein Taylor Esposito, uh, just, sorry, I have a list and I just, my brain is like blanking, but like all the folks out, Nate Picos, like all the folks out there who are just like killing it, doing amazing lettering, like Hassan, you know, like all these guys, all these people who are just masters of the craft. I'm nowhere, Joe Caramania, I'm nowhere near, you know, what they're doing. And if I can get a little bit better with each book and learn a new trick and learn a new, like, Oh, so that's what this does. And that's how this tale should go. And, you know, um, and I feel the same way about writing. I feel the same way about writing is that every book you do should be informed by the work, the things you learn by the books that have come before. And that never ends, right? That never ends. And so, you know, for me, thank God, I can kind of look back and say, like, I did mini comics, right? I drew a book, I stapled it, I distributed, I learned about how to distribute a mini comic. I self-published something, right? I learned about Diamond. I learned about what it means to distribute a book through Diamond, right? Every book you do, try to get your hands on all aspects of the business. I'm not saying, like, go learn how to draw necessarily. Like, if you can, fantastic. But having that empathy to say, like, I want to write this page with, like, 50 horses and 30 samurai and ornate gear, your artist is going to strangle you, right? And, like, (laughs) there's a part of you that has to just know, like, when I'm, you know, yes, challenge you know, your design and challenge what comics should be innovate as best you can, but also understand yeah. that, like, this is what it means to draw a comic. This is what it means to color a comic. This is what it means to letter, right? Don't give your letterer the comic to letter the day before it has to go to the printer. Just, like don't, and then make 50 changes afterwards, right? Like you got to learn, you got to, you got to put in, you know, you said put in the work, put yeah. in the work. And if that's something that I can kind of get across Anybody who might be listening to this that wants to do comics, it is work and it is rewarding, but you got to do it. Yeah. One, one of the things I, I other, one of the other things I wanted to ask you, um, just looking at some of the different things you've done is, um, you have, I, uh, I, I think I'm going to get this, this, this right. I think you did like Jack London's call the wild into a comic, but you've also taken comics like what was it? Craven's last hunt and turned it into like a prose novel um doing different things like that do you do you like one more than the other or are there particular challenges that you feel you're adept at in doing those two kinds of different um you know writings yeah so prose is is a definitely a different muscle than writing a comic book right like when you are writing a comic book there's a part of you that can write a very quick script and hope that the artist saves your ass Right. So it's just like, <laughs> fight goes here. <laughs> okay, John, go. Right. Yeah. I'm waving. Sure. But like, <laughs> um, there's a part of you that can just basically just like 
really and that's how some writers can write multiple books a month right like yeah your script is just kind of you have to get across what you need to get across but at the end of this the day, is a splash this is a splash page of the monster <laughs> it's not just that it's that you can use the art to um convey to the user a thought or a, a tone or a mood oh. or a color right yeah. when, you're writing, when you're writing prose you have to your words have to do that right you have to do that in the prose and you have to set the scene and paint the picture with the words that you are writing. And that is a different muscle than saying, all right, there's going to be a backdrop with this kind of wallpaper and he's going to look out forlornly, right? Like I have to say that in the prose. So that's like, I like both, but there's definitely a lot more work and a lot more thought that goes into doing it in a prose novel or a story. Um, in terms of adaptation, I prefer to adapt from comic to prose only because I feel like when you do that, like let's take the, the two that I did, right? Call of the Wild, you mentioned. Jack London's Call, London's Call of the Wild. Classic, classic literary book. Uh, we got Alex Nino, the great late Alex Nino, to come and, and illustrate it, and it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, we put it out years ago from Penguin Books. Here's the problem. Um, number one, it's from the point of view of a dog. So not a lot of like speech balloons going on there, right? Um, so a lot of things have to be told via caption, via you know narrative caption. Um, but also the book is X amount of pages, and I only had about 144 pages to work with. So it's really just sequential math. It's you need to kind of take each chapter of the novel and say, I can do this chapter in 10 pages, or I can do this tap chapter in eight pages, and here's how I'm gonna condense this really amazing, beautiful work that Jack London did into a series of, you know, panels and, 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 uh, and art and, and, and balloons to kind of get it through. And so that was probably the hardest part of doing Call of the Wild is just to understand, like, what's the math involved as I'm going to adapt. Looking at it the other way with Craven's Last Night, oh, sorry, Last Hunt, I only had the six issues, right? There's six issues in this crossover, 22 pages each, and I've got to write a... 85,000, 90,000, you know, word book. Yeah. And so you really kind of have to not only take the panels and relate, what well, here's what's going on, right? But you have to embellish a little bit, like the, like you have to get inside the character's head. And not you have to, you get to get inside of the character's head. And that, to me, that was, was really excited about. So I, I love Craven's Last Time. I, it's one of my, fa it's probably my favorite Spider-Man story. It's one of the first comics I read as a kid. Um, and I've always had a, a place for it in my heart. Um, it's creepy. It's deep. It's insightful. It's scary. It's emotional. And, uh, the visuals, you know, Mike, the Mike Zek visuals are just fantastic. Like some of the best comic art ever in a comic. And <clears throat> when I got the opportunity to do this and I had to do it quickly, I only had a couple of months to do it. Um, it was fun. It was like, I'm going to go write a Spider-Man comic, not only a Spider-Man comic into a book, but my favorite Spider-Man comic. And so I, you know, you mentioned research earlier, like I love to research. And so I read pretty much amazing Spider-Man, like, like that, maybe those 10 years of amazing Spider-Man, I went and hunted them down just to get like, here's what happened before Cravens last night. Here's hunt, dang night, hunt. And here's what's hap what happened happens after. And so if you read the book, you'll note that there are parts that are brought in from other stories that happened before and after, right? Like it sort of starts right, 
right as, I don't know if you big Spider-Man guy, but like right at the big reveal of who the Hobgoblin is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like in the comics. So, you know, they, a decade almost, they were teasing who, who's the Hobgoblin. And then finally they revealed him. And then right after it was Kraven's last time. So there's a little bit of that emotional fallout of Peter dealing with that, right? Dealing with one of his best friends being one of his greatest villains. And then what was also great is, so if you think about Kraven's last time, there's four main characters. There's Peter, there's Mary Jane, there's Craven, and then there's Vermin, who's like the other villain that's in the book. So I looked at sort of Vermin's story, which I really wanted to kind of expand a little bit, and looked at some uh, stories that were taking place after Last Hunt, and even like a year or two later, and brought some of that narrative in as well, so that we could kind of cap off his story too, and get kind of a fuller picture. So again, what's great about it is that you have more room to kind of be creative yeah. versus when you're taking a comic, uh, a novel and trying to get it into like X amount of comic pages, sometimes it could feel a little claustrophobic. So I know that was really, really long winded, but it was my yeah. way of saying. I asked the question. I mean, so, but it's, no, I, I wanted to know. It was something I was curious about. Um, and I wasn't exactly what I, I thought the answer would be, but it's interesting how, I mean, I would think that with prose, because you are doing a lot of that legwork that the visuals get to do, you you get to have some more freedom, maybe some more creativity. It's interesting how you say it's like a sequential math, though, when you're doing it the other way and adapting a book to to a comic to fit those your page count. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I think that's no, I think great answer. Thanks, I appreciate you in, in, indulging me. Of course, and it's it's also tough because sometimes, like I I've, I've been lucky enough to do other novels and and other novels that are in the comic book arena i did a powers novel and i just did an x-men novel and sometimes you because you're a fan you want to like you assume everyone else is a fan and so that there's a part of you that's like oh they all know who the x-men are right they know who wolverine is and part of you is like maybe they don't and so sometimes you have to actually work into the prose like like a way to sort of set like here's who all these people are and here's all the background without making it dry or feel like a textbook right right yeah no, I get that. Um, well, Neil, before I let you go, um, any, you know, um, anything in particular that, you know, that you want to say to the listeners about, you know, nice Jewish boys in terms of um, that kind of, you know, last thoughts before I let you go? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm really, I feel really kind of privileged to have gotten to do this book. Um, I know that, you know, it, sometimes it feels a little niche, right? It's, it's, it's about a, you know, a community that not a lot of people know about, you know, and I don't know, the audience could be there, it could not be there. But I I feel like, like I said earlier, it's very relatable. Um, If you are a person who has dealt with struggles in your life and felt sort of trapped and desperate and have sort of had that moment, that sort of like precipice of like, if I go this way, this could happen. And if I go this way, this will happen. Um, It's about that sort of decision, right? And it's about having made the wrong decision what can you do to fix the situation? How do you take responsibility? So I think for folks who can kind of, yeah, it's about Jews and Teaneck. It's about, you know, uh, my community is about my friends and family, but it's really about humans. It's about, you know, people struggling with the situation that they're in, that they sometimes feel trapped by. And it's about uh, some pretty terrible people, some of who have remorse about what they've done and some who clearly don't. And so I find that if you can kind of look at it that way, it's it's really going to kind of catch your eye. And the art, again, by John and Ellie is just outstanding. And if you pick it up, just 
for the art and think that my words are awful and I'm the terrible writer. That's that's okay because uh, John and Ellie are, are really worth the price of admission. Um, issue three is out now and and um, it's out via Comicsology, which I know a lot of folks right now are are sort of dealing with Comicsology, the app having sort of uh, gone away. Uh, but you can kind of you can still buy the comics uh, on Amazon and then read them in the Amazon Kindle app. Um, uh, you can kind of download them there and check them out. It's really, you know, they do, they do a really nice job with the Kindle app and the fourth issue comes out in February. Fifth issue comes out in March. And, uh, we're hoping, we're hoping to, uh, have a printed edition sometime later this year, uh, maybe around convention season before, after. Um, and so, uh, I'm looking forward to that, having that set on my shelf and being able to kind of show it around town. Uh, and hopefully people, want to put it on their shelf and not hate me because it's the art town. <laughs> no, I, I don't, I don't think they will. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I will say I, I look forward to, you know, hopefully there will be a, a printed edition, but yeah, I know I, I, I was bummed out with um, like the, the comiXology app, like other folks were, but I still, I read a lot of digital comics still and you know, you, you find a way. Yeah, no, um, I love it. I love it. And you yeah. know, it's just you move from one app to the other, and you know I know folks really kind of like that app, but Comicsology, you know, does a really great job, and they're they've been super supportive of me and my work, uh, both with Nice Jewish Boys and The Panic before this. Um, yeah, and I, I some, like a lot of the yeah. Comicsology original comics that they've put out. They've done yeah. a lot of great comics, um, but yeah, I, I will say just in terms of uh, for listeners, uh, if you like cr- crime comics, I mean, just generally. Crime comics are your thing. If you're a Brew Baker and Phillips fan, you know, oh. anything along those lines, I really think you're going to like this. Um, uh, I don't be, you know, just, scared you just, away from the fact made, you just made my day. You just <laughs> well, made my day. I love those guys. Yeah, no, I know. I absolutely. I'm, I'm a huge fan, but I, I feel like it, it, it's a, it's a really solid grounded work. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be scared away by the fact that Jake is a, <clears throat> excuse me, Orthodox Jew. Um, it, it, you really, he's very relatable. It's just a part of who he is, like any community, any religion. Um, he had a very helpful in issue one, at least the version I read had a Yiddish and Hebrew glossary, which I found super helpful. Every issue, Um, (laughs) every issue in the back of, in the back of the issue, for those who are paying attention, uh, there is a list of all the, uh, Yiddish and Hebrew words that are used as slang. Uh, or conversational words in the comic. So don't feel like, you know, there's a, there's a barrier there for every schmuck or, or, you know, or mitzvah that you see, Uh, just, you know, just dive into the back and all those, all those wonderful poetic loving uh, phrases will be translated for you. Yeah. I'm going to study it. Uh, One of my, my colleagues, she, she's not orthodox, but she is, I think the president of her synagogue. So I'm going to, I'm going to study all the words in that glossary to, Presser. <laughs> Glad I could help with that. <laughs> uh, but Neil, thank you so much. Uh, I'm I was a big fan. Really loved issue one. I can't wait to go get issues two and three, and I'll, I'll be right there to get four and five as well. So um, it, by the time you're listening to this episode, all three issues will, are, will, will be out on Comicsology, and you can get them from Amazon. Um, but Fantastic work uh, by Neil and John and uh, Ellie and and Sarah Litt, the uh, the editor. Um, so yeah, Neil, thank you so much. Wish you the best of luck with the rest of the uh, with the rest of the issues. Um, I, I appreciate, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much.
All right. So, uh, listeners, you're going to go out, uh, at least get nice Jewish boys number one at, at least, and then um, but you should get the rest of them. And let me know. Find me on social media. Let me know what you think. Let's talk about it because I really loved it. And um, you know, rate, review us, say nice things about us because um, I'm very sensitive and uh, <laughs> I need, too. I need, I need to hear this. Um, but yeah, I uh, thank you for listening. Oh, shout out to my brother Bobby, the uh, Crypto Creator Corner's number one most dedicated listener. Bobby listens to all my episodes and I, I have I say this every episode and uh, he never fails to get excited and tell me thanks for mentioning him <laughs> um, uh, but even buy some of the comics that uh, so he listens and buys so we appreciate that Bobby does that uh, but yeah thank you very much for listening and uh, I will uh, see you next time this is Byron O'Neill one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by Comic Book Yeti we hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now